0: Let me open us in a word of prayer, and we'll begin our study this morning. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you truly are our hope in life and death. And Father, we stand in the midst of this life and its difficulties and its challenges in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ in hope eternal and we thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I pray you would be with us today. You would bless your word. Father, I pray for strength even as I am recovering <clears throat> from a, uh, a uh, cold and respiratory infection. Just pray you would give me strength and clarity of thought. And that your spirit would make your word come alive to us. Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I'll tell you another story. Maybe this will lighten the mood, a touch. Um, So as we're heading out the door, and again, this was really last minute, Um, and we're watching weather reports. This, of course, is going on when the entire world is under six feet of snow, it seems, and first we were, we were, you know, I was thinking, Hardy, let's get in the car, road trip, you know. We can, you know, go up to Washington, through Oregon, see all the Redwoods, you know. And Colleen said, no, we're getting on a plane. And, and Colleen's, you know, all the way along, trying to feed wisdom into me, you know, grab some gloves, make sure you get a hat, remember that winter coat that you packed about 15 years ago, bring it up. And I said something along the way of, you know what, I don't think we're going to be spending much time outside. I don't think I need to worry that much about it. Well, we got up there, and I I had forgotten what bitter cold is like. And, and, you know, you you may only be out a little bit, but I'm telling you, the walk, the six-foot walk from the door to the car... Is brutal. (laughs) And we had one night, um, uh, I got barbecue duty. Yes, you fire up a Traeger in in nine degrees, and cooked uh, tri tip. And you know, the girls just got together and this big dessert. And I had this wonderful bowl of ice cream, which probably lowered my body temperature about eight degrees. We got in the car to leave. And my teeth were, my whole body was vibrating and chattering so hard. It was like there was no way I could get warm from this. And, you know, I'm turning on the heat and all that. But in that cold, in the drive from the house to our hotel, the 20 minutes, I don't think the needle moved. I mean, maybe it came up a few degrees. I don't know. But at, at one point, in fact, I've heard that when you're so cold eventually you, you stop shaking your teeth stop chattering and I had reached that point <laughs> I mean this, this, was, this was cold so she didn't remind me of it but her words <laughs> kept coming back to me of all the ways that I I should have prepared, that I should have clothed myself properly for this journey. And, you know, ironically, I mean, uh, as I started this study, I hadn't been thinking about that at all, but I I thought ironically how well it fit with uh, this message this morning. We're in the book of Romans, and if you want to take your Bible, um, I do encourage you, you know, somebody asked me when I came through the door, uh, "What are what are we going to be in?" And I said Romans, and he just shook my head. Yeah, All right. Start at the start at the top. Why don't you? So um, we're going to be challenged this morning. Uh, we'll be reading in chapter thirteen, verses eight through fourteen. Let me start there. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other." For you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Romans, a lot like Ephesians, both letter, Paul begins the, the front part of the letter with really a theology of our salvation. And then he tells us in the latter part how to apply that theology to our everyday lives. And this text is just that kind of practical application. And it's really in two sections. So this first section, Love is the Fulfilling of the Law, verses 8 through 10, begins with... (coughs) Excuse me. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. And this is to... to, to um, so oftentimes, you know, you, you want to grasp the transitions that's taking place since we're not going straight through the whole book. We're missing a few parts. And the transition that you can look at is right before it in verses 6 through 7, and actually the very beginning of chapter 13, We actually know this section well because these verses have come up so much through the last few years in the discussion around submitting to legitimate authority. So verses 6 through 7, after telling us uh, about submitting to authority, he says, for because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed revenue to whom whom revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor is owed so he's telling us that we're basically in a state of indebtedness all the time we accumulate taxes we gotta pay them We have perhaps contractual agreements and we owe revenue or assets. We owe others respect and honor on an ongoing basis. And his point is we need to pay legitimate debts as agreed, okay? But then as we go into our text, it it creates an interesting tension. He says, owe no one, pay all debts. But then our text this morning says, accept, accept. Stay in a perpetual state of indebtedness to love. Perpetual indebtedness to love. And yes, I'm not sure I get it. You know, I thought the Lord in his death canceled all my debt. Paul says to the um, Colossians in the second chapter, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's done, it's taken care of. So, why a love debtor? Why are we a debtor to love? The law, one reason the law wasn't abolished. And, and Jesus is confronted about this. And he says in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 17 in, in the Gospel of Matthew, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Colossians tells me God canceled the record of my debt, nailing it to the cross. Paul uses this fancy word. And because Paul uses it several times, we're going to use it. Propitiation. He says it in Romans. He says it in Hebrews. And also John in his first letter to the church uses the word propitiation. And it's an interesting word. It's to appease or to reconcile. It's really, it's it's an accounting term. It's a term for a ledger where there's a debt that needs to be settled and that Christ has become the propitiation or the reconciliation of that debt. So these verses tell us that we're we're not under the law, we're under grace, as Paul says in chapter 6. But he also says we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from sin. And because of that, he says, we have become obedient from the heart, slaves of righteousness. So how do we fulfill the legitimate requirements of the law? That's when we, t- we look at verse 9. And Paul lists here, Several of the commandments. He says, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's all summed up in this word You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he gets that directly from the Old Testament the law, Leviticus 19.18, right in there in the middle of grace and the gospel. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, first, the assumption here, the given is that we all love ourselves, right? We always act in our own best interests. It's even said the man that, Commit suicide is simply looking for peace and comfort from the pain that he is in. We always act in our own best interests. And we can put it another way. We are always obedient to the commands. Listen to this. We're always obedient to the commands in their application to ourselves right? Do not murder. We will always defend our life. Do not steal. We will always guard our property. When we love our neighbors as ourselves, that love will do no wrong to them, just as we will do no wrong to ourselves. Well, Paul transitions here from loving my neighbor being the fulfillment of the law to this section of this text that I'll label as putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins this way. He says, besides this, or you could say, add to this or in addition to this. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, in this section, Paul, you can you you can see a clear delineation in the text between it, where he begins talking about the nature of time the nature of time. And then he talks about our called action in light of the time. And he does this through imagery and metaphor. And I guess you you, kind of have to first ask the question, why does he do that? I mean I'm a simple man and this confuses me sometimes. I really had to work at this text. But he uses this imagery and metaphor and I think why he does it is he 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 wants us to think deeply about this. He doesn't put it in front of us in such a straightforward manner that we da, 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 great move on. This is this is important. And he wants us to relate to this, to understand this, to receive this on a deep level. He wants us to know of the importance of what he is saying to us. So stay with me. I'm going to try and unpack this a little bit. First, we're looking at the nature of time. Verse 11 through the beginning of verse 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. You know the time. You know the time. But what is the time? Clearly we can say it's not a specific hour, not even a day. Paul intends this text to be speaking not just to the immediate readers of his letter, but he's speaking to the church as a whole throughout time. So it's not a, an hour, it's not a day, it's an age. Paul intends to apply to all believers. And he defines it by a very specific set of characteristics. He says, you know the time. So obviously believers, he is anticipating, intuitively are aware of the time. We need to be aware of the time, or we should be aware of the time. It's part of our DNA. And Paul tells us, The hour has come that we should wake from sleep. Well, what indications does he give us that it is the hour to wake? And he gives us two related things and then a third. First, he says, The night is far gone. And he says, The day is at hand. The hour to wake is. Paul places it smack dab in the middle of the night is far gone and the day is at hand. Well, the night is obviously representative of spiritual darkness. And we see Jesus representing himself and his coming as light throughout the Gospels. Just one example here, John 8:12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Paul said to the Corinthian church in chapter 4, verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling us that the night is far gone, is spiritual darkness that is passing away in the light of Christ. That should give all of us tremendous hope and encouragement. You know, we, we walk through this life and so often... We see the darkness is growing around us, as oppressing us more and more. It's winning, it's having victory. But Paul tells us just the opposite. The reality is, and Christians should be aware of this the night is far gone. Christ has come, risen from the grave, and he is at work. So the night is bracketed by the day. On the one side, the night is far gone. And on the other, the day is at hand. So the day is clearly the day of Jesus Christ's return. Paul talked about that day, hopefully, in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then the final piece of this puzzle Paul gives us is for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation. Isn't that interesting? Weren't we saved when we put our faith in Christ? But he says salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And if you want to do an interesting word study and look up the word being, in the New Testament, it's amazing how many times Paul refers to our salvation as being saved. So yes, we have been saved by the blood of Christ through faith. But he's doing an ongoing work that he, Paul says in Philippians... One, six, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the salvation Paul speaks of in our text in Romans is the good work completed in us at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening in between this night is far gone and the day is nearly upon us. Christ is is is. Completing this work. It's an ongoing process that he is doing that he wants us to trust us with and participate in. Paul's telling us there's a sweet spot of opportunity between the revelation of Jesus Christ coming into the world and the culmination of all things. with his return and our completed salvation. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. This is what Paul says intuitively we should all be aware of. But the truth is we need to remind ourselves of this all the time, don't we? We get get caught up in different narratives that the world puts in front of us constantly. It's a continual process to remember, the night is far gone. Christ is coming. The day is at hand. Well, the next section of this, as I said, the beginning of this part, is is uh, is. Lost my train there. Pardon me. Is telling us the nature of the time. And then the second part, in light of that time, Paul gives us a call to action. This is in verses, second half of verse 12 through the end, verse 14. So then Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And what's interesting is this call to action, you can see he helps us by really uh, breaking it down into three pairs of contrasts. So we can clearly see, not left, but right. What's the path? The first one Is he says, cast off the works of darkness. And contrast that with, put on the armor of light. That's in verse 12. Jesus is our armor. And we're going to talk about that, but that's that's the capstone of this text. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put on the Lord like a cloak, like a covering. Be prepared to step out into the day. Ephesians 6.13 says this, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day in having done all to stand firm. That's a promise. Second one is let us walk properly. Or you could say, let us walk decently. And he contrasts that with, let us not. And then he goes into this list of not in orgies and drunkenness, which is sort of like a Super Bowl party picture, right? Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. You know, and I think one of the things that's important to keep in mind is, and, and this is uh, relevant to our entire Christian walk, Jesus continually reminded us that it's not just the doing, but it's the thinking, right? Right? Well, I haven't committed adultery, but is there, is there lust in my heart? I haven't stolen anything, but I am, am I consumed with greed over what other people have? The Lord is concerned about the condition of our heart, not just the actions of our body. Both are significant. Well, the third one he gives us is really our capstone. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. He tells us to wake from sleep. Which means to reject the absorption in the present night age, to avoid conformity with the present evil age. I think one of the things that Paul is telling us is we need to stop being passive about our lives. We need to stop being passive about the influences on our life. to not passively go through life taking on the characteristics of the world. And it almost never happens to us purposely. We don't set about, usually, unless we're deeply lost in sin, to be pouring darkness into our hearts. But the world around us will be happy to help. It will be happy to help. And we need to to not be passive walking asleep in the night through this life. But be awake. Wake from sleep, Paul tells us. He says in Romans twelve two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Peter asked rhetorically of the Christian church, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, in speaking of the end times, the return of Christ, and really the, the destruction of the world as it exists in the new heavens and earth, since, these, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the world around us, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You could even plug that right into the text that we're saying. What what sort of people ought we to be between the passing night and the dawn that's just around the corner? What type of people should we be in that sweet spot? Paul and Peter both exhort us to seize the day. What is that? Should have known that from my Marine Corps days. Carpe diem. Anybody know some Latin there? Seize the day, purposefully, not passively. <laughs> 9,225 sunrises. That's how many sunrises we've had, and that's actually accurate to today. Um, coming up in in our bedroom window. I only know this because Colleen Googled it for me. I was there brushing my teeth, and and I said, hey, do you know how many sunrises we've had? I was thinking about this message. And all of a sudden, 9,225, or 24, but tomorrow will be 25. How do you know that? Well, I Googled it. I didn't know you could Google that too. And, you know, we've lived in our house 25 years, and uh, we're not much of shoppers. It's the first house we've ever owned. It's the only house we've ever owned. We looked at two other houses. Yeah, good. We'll buy it. And we were so blessed um, that uh, uh, I never really thought about it, but our bedroom window looks out um, on uh, on a really unobstructed view of the eastern hills. So, we have uh, a great view of the sunset, and, and there's that time, you know, I don't know, between maybe 9 p.m. and 4 p.m. You don't have a clue what time it is, right, unless you look at a watch. It's just black. It's just, it's just dark. But then there's that period where it starts changing, right, and the sky starts glowing that lighter blue. And it's just it's just beautiful as we look through that window. And and so many times um I've you know been encouraged to to wake and and take that time and, and it's been you know wonderful opportunities for meditation and time in God's Word and just fellowshipping with the Lord. And and then the sun comes up and, it, and, it, and it's over you know it's like the, the busyness of the day and the dog gets up and jumping on you and somebody says is coffee ready yet well, I don't know let me get to it but there's that, there's that time and, I, and I'm so often tempted to just roll over and hit the snooze button right and and I think that's, that's a good picture of what he is talking here. Don't hit the snooze button. Wake. The night is far gone. The day will be here soon. Wake. Wake from sleep. The sun is near. Cast off the works of darkness. Hebrews puts it this way in Chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is all the believers that have gone before us, that have faithfully, faithfully pursued God and their calling. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So when Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, he means step out the door, wake up, step out the door into the light of day clothed Prepared, clothed, be purposeful. Be clothed with the heart, filled with the love of God for my neighbor. That'll prepare you for almost anything. Step out with a mind filled with the Word of God, manifested in the flesh. And third, step out with a soul filled with a certain hope of salvation that is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Pray with me. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for our hope in life and death. Father, in this season where the night is far gone, your victory is sure. And the day is near. And you will soon call us home. Father, help us to be purposeful. Help us to to use the time wisely. Father, we want to glorify you and we can only do that by the power of the Spirit that you put within us. Father, cause us to be tools in the hands of the Redeemer usable for every good work. And we will give you all the glory for it. In Christ's name, we ask it. Amen. Well, let me leave you with this benediction from Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God.